This morning's scripture, the 10th chapter of Romans, verses... Beautiful job. He apologized for keeping you all a little too long because he said he thought he was a little long-winded, and I told him that you guys will be all right. You'll struggle through. But what a blessing it was to be able to hear him. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The word of God. Let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we come to a, another critical passage in your word one that's very familiar. We thank you, Lord, that you've given this to us as a way that, and as a roadmap and a guide, guide to salvation, Father. And as we look at these, and especially this morning, Lord, we look at some obscure passages that are difficult to uh, understand on the surface, and we just pray that your Spirit would give us a heart and mind to be able to understand them. And Lord, I pray that uh, your words through me will aid in that, Lord, and I pray that they be not according to me, but be according to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, it's been a couple of weeks, but I want us to go back and remember the beginning of Romans 10 and exactly what that was and, and what Paul was trying to do. Romans 9, 10, and 11 is directed primarily toward the Jews, and it is dealing with What's happened to them? And what does the future hold from them? As a matter of fact, I don't think the Gentiles come into play until like verse 23, if memory serves me correct, somewhere in there. But there was a problem. There was a problem in that God's chosen people were missing out. Or what was viewed as God's chosen people, that they were not getting in that they weren't being saved. And so Paul's addressing that issue. Why not? What's happened? What has happened to those that we thought God was looking out for and watching over? And Paul begins a distinction, and his distinction is based upon a bloodline or lineage versus a faith that's passed from one generation to the next. And we've seen as we look through Romans 9, that God's sovereign in his choice. That he chooses who he chooses for his glory. Not according to what we desire or what we want to happen or what we think should happen. So at the beginning of Romans 10, Paul comes back. And he laments 
over his brothers and sisters of the flesh. He's worried about them. He is concerned about them. And as we saw in the beginning of 9, how he wishes that he could trade places with them so that they would all be saved. And so he's right back to where he was here at the beginning of chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. His desires were for all his genealogical brothers and sisters to be saved. And he said, even though they had a zeal for God, they didn't really know God. They didn't really understand God. Because they had made a God up in their mind that was not the God of the Bible. And we tend to do that as well. He's saying that they were zealous for God. They did everything that they thought they were supposed to do to be saved. But at the end of the day, they weren't going to be saved. They were those who thought, we will work as hard as we can, and at the end of all this, God will understand. God will understand. After all, he made us. So Paul said they had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So instead of understanding and appreciating the righteousness of God, they sought to develop on their own their own righteousness. That's what they did. They wanted to be righteous in and of themselves, to establish their own sense of righteousness. It's a problem, is it not? It was a problem then, it is a problem now. It is always a problem when we seek to establish our own righteousness. It is easy for us to set back and cast aspersions at Israel and not look in the mirror and not see that we attempt to do the same thing. That we attempt to be saved based on what we do or how good we are. It's the same old story and it doesn't change thousands of years. We are a very difficult human race we don't learn lessons we don't take to heart what God is trying to teach us and we fall back into the same nonsense generation after generation after generation I suppose that is part of our fallenness that we have to learn and experience our failures on our own. But nonetheless, that's exactly what was happening here, and that's what happens to us. Paul tells us time and time again that our righteousness is like filthy rags. It's worthless whenever it comes to salvation. But man, we like to tell ourselves that's not the case. We love to lift ourselves up. We love to glorify ourselves and be able to think that I'm not a bad person. Overall, I'm a pretty good guy. That's what we like to hear, is it not? But that's just not the reality of it. And the problem with that line of thinking is it stands between us and eternity. It really does. So the Jews were giving this law and... They were going to develop their own righteousness by trying to keep it. And if they fell short, if they had that odd 
evil thought or lustful intuition or whatever it was, it was going to be okay because by and large, they did the best they could. But this is Paul's warning to us all. You can't be good enough to earn God's favor. I'll try it again. You can't be good enough to earn God's favor, and I can't tell you anything that's more important than that specific line. This whole idea or notion that we're good enough to earn God's favor has two parts that are dangerous. One, we think too much of ourselves. And it kind of goes along with society today. There are way more people that think way too much of themselves than know who honestly believe that they're nothing. I'm not saying that doesn't happen because people fall into that horrible pit. And so I don't want to overlook that group, but I will tell you that group is far overwhelmed by the group that think they're all that in a bag of chips. So number one, we believe that we are way better than what we truly are. And number two, we falsely believe that God will understand. We don't understand his righteousness. So see, that, that was the part in those first four verses. Not knowing or understanding God's righteousness, we try to make a righteousness for ourselves or on our own. So we're thinking that God is okay. He's like, you know, one of our friends. Whenever we offend them, they'll forgive us and it'll all be right. That's not God. He's perfect and he requires perfect righteousness in order to be saved. But then finally in verse 4, Paul tells us that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. It is Christ for righteousness. That, that's the key to everything. So he is continuing with this line of reasoning this morning. And hopefully y'all can remember the easy button. What commercial was that? Was it Geico? Staples, that's right. I don't even know if they exist anymore. Okay. So it's the easy way. And we're going to see how that plays out in the scriptures this morning. But Paul is continuing this reasoning by quoting from the Old Testament. He said, so I'm, I, I've just told the Jews, or I've talked about how the Jews tried to establish their own righteousness. Now I'm going to go back and I'm going to show you from the Old Testament how this works. And he quotes Leviticus 18.5. Where it is a command, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. This was a command that God gave through Moses. So he laid out this notion that we should keep God's commands. And I will tell you, the same way as this tells you, if in fact you can perfectly keep God's commands, you will have an eternal life. Okay? That was the promise in the Old Testament, promise in the beginning, it's the promise today. If you can keep the law of God perfectly, you got it. You're good to go. Don't let that be a source of optimism for you. Okay? I will tell you that if you fly home today, you don't have to drive your vehicle, okay? It's the same sort of reasoning. 
But that's what was told here in Leviticus. And Paul goes back and he quotes that. There's never been a dispute about if you keep the law and you keep it perfectly, you will be saved. But there are problems that go along with that. Romans 3, and as well as 1 Kings chapter 8, tells us that we all sin. We all sin. There are none righteous, no, not one. Not only that, but there's actually none who actually or legitimately seek God on their own. If we are left to our own devices, evil is all that we can do. And it is all that is within us. So, it is impossible to keep God's commandments the way that God requires them to be kept. No one has ever been able to do that except for one. No one has ever been able to fully do this except for one person. And we know who that was. So, one type of righteousness comes from keeping his commands, we're out. We can't do it. I'll tell you. If you don't believe me, just try and be honest with yourself, okay? Because probably in the last five minutes, you've had a sin that's go through your mind that has disqualified you from eternal life. So there is a righteousness that comes from keeping his commands, which we can't do. We're out of luck. But praise God, there is another way, a more better way. It is righteousness that is based on faith in Christ Jesus. It is imputed righteousness. It is alien righteousness because it doesn't come from within us. It comes from without and it is imputed within us when our faith is in the giver of that righteousness. So Paul explains this righteousness that he's talking about and he's quoting from Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14. And I will warn you, it's a little obtuse, it's a little difficult to understand and hard to follow, but hopefully we will be able to, to dig through it. Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14. For this command I command you today, it is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. The easy button, get it? It's not too hard for you, neither is it far off. Remember, this is in Deuteronomy. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. So Deuteronomy, we're talking about keeping the commandments, that it should be easy. You can do it. And so how does Paul take this passage and bring it to what he's trying to say? How impressive Paul was in being able to look in the Old Testament and understand the scriptures of God as they related to Jesus Christ. Probably perhaps like no New Testament writer there ever was. And I, and I know that God gets all the glory and credit for that, but it is truly impressive for, to see how this plays out. 
And it's beautiful how he weaves Christ into this specific passage. And we'll jump back now to Romans 10. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down. Who will descend to the abyss, that is to raise Christ up or bring Christ up from the dead. So he's saying, do not ascend to heaven. Finding and keeping the law, that was the whole idea of ascending into heaven or descending in the abyss or going across the sea was to try to find these stone tablets that Moses had. If you find them, bring it to me. It's easy. We'll be able to keep them. And so that's the whole idea that's going on here and that's what Paul is quoting. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven to find the commands, that is to bring Christ down. Neither are they going into the abyss or across the sea as it was in Deuteronomy. So instead of trying to find the law and obey it, the focus should be on trying to find who? Christ. The focus should be on trying to find him. Instead of worrying about, am I doing this right, or am I doing that right, or, oh wow, what if I do this wrong? That's not the focus. The focus should be on him. I thought Mason did a wonderful job last week of talking about legalism. And he talked about food and drink and all these things that people get, just lose their mind over, right? You see somebody drinking something, you see somebody eating something, and it's like, whoa! It's got nothing to do with getting us into heaven. Because see, that focus shifts off Christ to the law, and all of a sudden we believe we're saved on based upon what we eat, drink, say, or do. That's not the calculation at all. And I thought Mason did a wonderful job of bringing that out. That's exactly what Paul's saying here. Don't search out and try to find the law and keep it. Search out and try to find Christ. That's it. That's the end. That's all that we need to do is to find Christ who obeyed the law for us. That's the easy button, folks. That's that's what Paul's talking about. You find someone who did for us what we can't do for ourselves, that's all we need. Why in the world would we go back and try to do what's impossible for us to do anyway. That makes no sense at all. It's foolish whenever we hear it explained that way. But oh, how we revert back into that mindset on our own. It's a part of fallen human nature, unfortunately. Verse 8 is a key verse. The word is near you, in your mouth, And in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. So he tells us the word is in your mouth and in your heart. And it is the word of faith, not the word of doing, that is proclaimed, that is salvation. Paul knew that a superficial reading of Deuteronomy 30 was not adequate for salvation. And he knew that keeping the law was not easy. And yet, the passage that I read to you in Deuteronomy said that it is easy. 
So it's easy for a reason that it doesn't say in Deuteronomy. So that's why Paul goes back and he weaves in Christ Jesus. Christ has become the fulfillment of that law that we all search for and we look for to try to do and try to keep. He kept it. So don't be looking for it in heaven to bring it down and read it and obey it. Or don't be looking for it in the abyss to try to raise it up and read it and obey it. Look for it in Christ. Faith in Christ. And if we look at verse 6, it's also a quote from Deuteronomy 9.4. Do not say, do not say in your heart. Deuteronomy 9.4 says, do not say in your heart that because of your righteousness that God has given you the promised land. That's Deuteronomy 9.4 and Paul uses the same language here to make the same type of point. Do not say in your heart. Don't think that your salvation is based upon what you have done because it's not. Don't think that it's based upon what you have said because it's not. Salvation is only based upon Christ and his perfect keeping of the law. Just like the promised land was not based upon what the Jews did, but it was based solely upon God's grace in giving them that. It is because of his grace and favor that we have salvation. Nothing else. Nothing that we can point to in our own lives. Nothing that we can point to that we did. So Paul substitutes the commands for bringing Christ down and raising Christ up by pointing to Jesus in these passages and it's beautiful how he wove Christ in the middle of these passages and so the bringing Christ down is representing his coming to this earth his losing himself as king and coming to this earth as a babe so you you, we bring Christ down and then the raising Christ up was his resurrection. So in this whole law idea that you have that was from Deuteronomy, we see the perfect ability to keep that was from the dissension from heaven in Christ and from the ascension from the abyss of Christ into eternal life. So all that law was wrapped up in Christ Jesus and everything that he accomplished. Verse 8, the word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. In Deuteronomy, it's a direct pointer to the new covenant. It is not, for I have written my law on your heart. It is internal, but it is kept through faith and through faith alone. Jesus says, my yoke is what? Easy, and my burden is light. That's clearly the point of Deuteronomy 30. They were trying to tell us that righteousness is easy. If you've ever tried it, you know that that's not the case. You know that it's not easy. If you don't know that, then you've not been honest with yourself. But yet Deuteronomy 30 and Paul tells us that it is easy for us to obtain 
that righteousness. It is only easy if we seek it through Christ, through faith in Christ, through a belief and understanding that he did it for us so we don't have to. So while Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he also says, narrow is the gate and hard is the way. So how do we deal with those two seemingly diametrically opposed statements? We live right now between justification, perfect justification, and perfect sanctification. Justification is easy because we didn't have to do it. It is through faith in Christ Jesus. Sanctification, on the other hand, can be a difficult road to hoe. We don't live on the other side of perfect sanctification. I promise you one of these days it will be easy. Those battles that you fight between these two things that you hear with will no longer exist. And God, how I pray for that day. But right now, it ain't. Right now, it's hard. Narrow is the gate. Hard is the way. It's a battle. All day, every day. But we're left with that promise. That it won't won't always be this way. So as easy as salvation and justification is is for us through belief, God promises that that perfect sanctification will be as easy as well in the future. So dads, as you teach your children, as you teach your grandchildren, don't teach them to work hard, be a good person, And it'll all be okay. Because that's a recipe for eternal damnation. You can teach them to work hard. But teach them to have faith in Jesus Christ. Because that is the true recipe for eternal life. Because no matter how hard they try to live up to that standard, they will always fall short. And we will never be able to get there. Faith in Christ Jesus and faith alone in Christ Jesus makes justification the easy way. Amen? Let's pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we try to complicate so many things. We try to make things something that they're not. And we do thank you for providing an easy way for us to be forgiven of our sins, to inherit eternal life. That you, your son, your spirit, loved us enough for your son to come to this earth, for him to descend from heaven, to be born a babe, and to keep the law perfectly when we can't, and to rise again, demonstrating for us all that that's our future, that that is our hope. Father, let us hold tight to that for those moments when we think that we're going to do something to gain or keep our eternal life, let us not take away from the glory of Christ and all that he did for us, that all we have to do is have faith in him and believe that you raised him from the dead and we will be saved. And yet at the same time, Lord, we know that we stand between justification and sanctification and we know the battles that we we deal with each and every day. 
We pray for courage and strength because sometimes those battles can be overwhelming. But we know that it only matters if we finish. And we just pray for your help in enabling us to finish the race, Lord, after a a good fight. And Lord, we again thank you for all fathers. We thank you for being the best father and providing eternal lessons for each and every one of us. We give you all joy or glory and praise in Christ's name. Amen. It's all right.